Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Again, a friendly request. Please consider supporting our efforts by making a regular or a one-time donation via our Patreon account. The information for that will be in the episode notes. And uh, following that, let's get on with the episode. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. This is January 1st when I'm recording this. Hopefully I get this posted today. Uh, Over the break, or actually just prior to it, we received uh, another question from one of our Patreon um, subscribers. Um, It's very interesting. A a lot of times these, these questions come from different followers, from different social media outlets, all at the same time. So I'm kind of using this one, but to be honest, several people have raised a similar question, including one or two of my own deshi. I find addressing this question will also be in line with the the trend the podcast is currently taking. So again, I would say probably our while we always take this deep dive and there's always a a combination of addressing both the spiritual and the martial, the much of our social media dissemination of information up till now has been addressing the kind of martial viability of the art. Um, and we're just now moving into addressing the spiritual viability of the art. Of course, one cannot be um, addressed without the other. Uh, as I've said many times throughout, uh, the two are concentric to each other. And To not have one is to not have the other. I think to really grasp that position, you kind of have to follow all those hours of video. Um, There's easily over a thousand hours of video on our YouTube channel. And then read all the blogs, listen to all the episodes. It's kind of a long, drawn-out position. Not so much because it's complicated in and of itself, maybe because it is subtle and that the viewer or the reader will either oversimplify it or overcomplicate it. Toward that end, of course, several times I've had requests to, you know, put it all in one place and and, uh, write a book, etc., but I think that would really lead people astray. This is for the simple reason that you, there is a radical distinction from a point in one's training between experience and discourse. And much of training is to bring or to purify out that difference. You can kind of look at a mature practice as that purification having taken place. But... 
prior to that purification, everything has a higher propensity to lead one astray than to lead one to that purification. There's several reasons for this. I think one, there is just a, the human reason, and it is, in essence, the functioning of the ego tripartite mind. It does what it does, and what it does is function. It filters, so to speak, it filters or it experiences reality in a way to continue its functioning. As a result, it is almost, it is by design, but almost guaranteed to usurp the practice that leads to its cessation, leads to its stop functioning. You could then define this purification or this maturation in one's practice as a goal towards authenticity as long as you understand authenticity as the egoic mind not usurping the way. So the authentic practice is a practice that the egoic mind has not usurped. A book, a single place for information, the understanding of a book, for example, is nothing more than the continuous functioning of the ego tripartite mind. And in that sense, it is an usurpation of the way. It is an obstacle to that purified body-mind or that purified state or to that authentic practice. And this is an obstacle that just manifests in the human organism. And in that sense, it's one that has existed from the beginning of time. This obstacle is either conjoined or amplified by another obstacle, which I mentioned early on in the podcast, and that is a, a socio-historical one. And this obstacle manifests itself by the, let's say, the, the social or the political motivation to take the technologies of self that come to be a way or that, ki- or that come to be recommended as part of the way for reasons of power, for the reasons of accumulating capital, whether that be material, social, or, or cultural, but of course functioning through that first organism obstacle, these elements of the way will come to supplant the goal of the way. And so you, you will be taken by those. An example of this, and we, we can, I can give some examples of religious history here, but I think Aikido is probably more in everyone's wheelhouse that would be listening to this podcast. So I'll use that. I posted a, a, a post recently on our Facebook page, one of Shirakawa, and how today in the Aikido um, community, in the, in the sense that community has of what is skilled Aikido, 
of what is beautiful Aikido, what is good Aikido. And those are all socio-political terms. They distinguish what is right from what is wrong, and everybody aligns accordingly, and they align their capital accordingly in an effort to exchange capital uh, between categories. So you move like or you train with Shirakawa, you can, for example, gain the cultural or social capital of being his deshi or being in his lineage, and that can, of course, be converted into material capital as you teach that good, and they're in air quotes, right, that good, that skilled in air quotes, Aikido, uh, at seminars, people will pay you for that so that they can get that social cultural capital. But in this good Aikido, and in the video I, I shared at that post or with that post, you have him outright telling you that he does not know what Aiki is, and if it did exist, he does not think it's practical. If you contrast that position, well, let's go back a little bit. And, and that is obvious from anybody who can do the internal aspects, that his Aikido totally lacks those elements. It's just here he's openly, verbally acknowledging that not only does my Aikido, his Aikido, lack those elements, but I don't think they're actually the good elements. Here is the good elements instead. And so now you contrast that position, or you look at that position in terms of contrast, across the historical timeline. We go from O-sensei's Aikido, who clearly had the internal aspects, clearly understood the art through the internal aspects, such to the point where he would tell his uh, students going, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you're not doing my Aikido. People doing external Aikido, which is what is popular today, which is what Shirakawa was doing. And over history, you have what was originally good and skillful and by definition the art now no longer considered good nor skillful nor even the art and in some strange way as this works itself out socially politically through history you have people doing aikido the way of aiki without actually believing in aiki or doing aiki Consciously, consciously not doing Aiki. If you look at religious traditions, you'll have people that will be of faith but will not believe or not include or denounce key uh, fundamental uh, assumptions of that faith. So you'll have a, a Christian who does not believe uh, that Jesus is a son of God. You'll have a Buddhist who will not believe in uh, karma or samsara. You'll have all kinds of um, devotion faiths where the person, the practitioner, uh, cannot and does not and believes there's nothing wrong with not practicing devotion. 
So over time, you'll have people that will no longer do the key defining elements, never, no longer uphold the key defining elements, but have come to a place above those things, other markers that were really not important, but were from maybe at the beginning uh, historically present. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, here in, um, in let's just take like, uh, it's not that one does not look at Shirakawa's Aikido and goes, oh, he's doing uh, fishing. Uh, there are things in place that identify it for most people, for almost all people, as Aikido. So he's got his uh, white gi and his black hakama. He's in a dojo. A dojo has this particular decor. He's got a nage uke methodology, etc., uh, etc. Et These are all the outer surfaces, the external things of O-sensei's original practice. And those things are now held higher than the actual main practice, which would be Aiki, for example. This is how you get people that will criticize, oh, you're, uh, what's with the white hakama? Or why do you wear blue? Or uh, no mat shoes on the mat, you know, all this kind of crazy crap. But they are totally uh, incapable of practicing um, Aiki. Uh, on, a, on a Christian level, let's say, um, you would have Christians who uh, would be totally incapable of forgiveness and for enduring suffering. There's something wrong there, but it, it, is, it will all appear as right. So in the first obstacle, just the, the nature of the human mind is to usurp the way, is to convert it. And in the second obstacle, this socio-political obstacle or this historical obstacle, the things not of actually the way become the way. There's a third obstacle. It's particular to our age, but it is a result of the first two. Often you've heard me refer to uh, our current times as modernity, uh, or, but in a negative sense, in a pejorative sense. Oftentimes you've heard me refer to it as Kali Yuga, or then, and that would be in a um, Hindu sense, or in the Japanese sense as Mappo. What these terms are getting at is that peculiar to our age, those first two obstacles have pretty much become the norm. They were always possible, but previous cultures did not recognize them as the norm. We do. They have become so possible, they are the only possibility. They are our reality. And so in terms of coming to the way, in terms of learning the way, we not only face the human mind problem, we not only face this kind of institutional problem, that second obstacle, but at a deep ontological level, 
at, at, a, at a deep awareness of self, of, uh, at the level of our imagination and in terms of what is actually possible to believe and even to doubt, we are presented with additional obstacles. They are the same, what I'm about to say, they are the same coin, so they're the same side of the coin, but they appear to be like counter-opposite, but they're not. You have the outright secular materialist antagonistic point of view towards the way that is by far uh, made it very, very impossible for many people to understand Aikido. For them, the art is a, a kind of leverage system. And, uh, you know, here's an, an, a recent example of this. So again, on, my, on, the, um, on our Facebook page, I treat it like a, like a dojo, you know, like our dojo here. So I don't invite anyone here. I don't even want you here. So I disseminate the information, and a, a viewer can either take it or not take it. I don't invite them to the page. You know, but if they're like in a post-rocus mind, you know, which is a, a mind where just ipso facto anything Aikido is totally, um, it's, it's earned a stamp where it is immediately and without consideration uh, possible to be rejected. There's a lot of that on social media. Of course, that feeds the ego. It's the same ego that Rokas was, was facing and still has not faced. So it, it kind of just feeds itself. So you have a, a lot of weirdos that are in Aikido groups looking up Aikido. They don't practice the art. They don't know anything about the art, nothing. They only know what the post-Rokas age has told them. Aikido sucks. This is how you get... You know, it's kind of weird things. Like, to me, it's very weird that anyone would tell a cop what real violence is. Or I've had people in um, the, 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 the self-proclaimed self-defense experts, you know, and they don't carry a handgun, on, they don't carry a hand, a handgun when they're out and about. I was like, why don't you carry a handgun? Oh, it's too hard for me to get. Okay, then shut up. It's not too hard. You just don't want to do the steps to get it. Here, here in the United States, there's, there's uh, law enforcement agencies that are, are hiring like crazy because of the staffing shortage. Want to carry a gun? Go out there. You want to find out what real violence is? Put a badge on and go out there. If you don't, then shut up. So you get a lot of weirdos that are just, you know, searching Aikido. You can tell they don't know anything. Like, what is that? It's like, it's called Kihon Waza, you know? <laughs> I think if you have to explain what Kihon Waza is, it's like you clearly don't know what, what anything about Aikido. It's funny going back to Rokas. I remember when his first video came out on YouTube. I don't comment at all, and I'm sure someone could track down this post on one of it. It must have been on one of his first videos about Aikido sucks, and um, I've, I posted again our YouTube channels, YouTube, or Ascension One. And it was like, why don't you first begin to cut off your ponytail 
Why don't you do squats? Why don't you start lifting weights? You know, if you have a martial concern, you're not going to have long hair. And you're going to prioritize strength. Why don't you train in actual sparring? Why can't you bring that in? Why don't you learn how to strike for real? This is a whole list of things you see like in our videos that would you, a, a viewer would be able to pull out our curriculum, even though it's not openly stated. If you're watching all those videos, you go, okay, they're doing all these things. And lo and behold, over time, what has he done? He's cut off his ponytail. He started lifting weights. He started striking. He started ground fighting. He started sparring. Weird. I saw him now. He's, he, he's uh, starting to get the glimmer, the glimmer of light that it wasn't the art per se. It was his reduced ego, egoic mind usurpation of the art that reduced it to becoming impotent, non-viable, non-functioning. So in, in one of his latest videos that I saw, it had in there, you know, he's, he's now got some sparring skill, which would include, but which is very, uh, I don't think you get it from Kihonwaza, which is why we don't just do Kihonwaza. Um, it's very difficult to understand the dynamic, the true dynamic nature of Mai. And also, um, and so Mai here, not also, let's just define Mai. Um, Mai is going to be the uh, specific space-time. You can't separate these things. So Mai is not range because that's only space. The, the particular specific space-time that is in harmony with your desired end. So there's, there's three components to there. They are all inseparable. Space, time, what are you trying to do? It, it, is, it is totally misleading to talk about short range, long range, all that kind of bullshit. That is all very two-dimensional thinking. That's more egoic mind functioning because it functions through dichotomy. You learn really quickly, like, so someone might go, oh, like, kicks are long-range weapon. Yeah, until you have um, somebody do an axe kick or a crescent kick, right, right, standing right in front of you. You're like, okay, no, actually, uh, my misconception was that range is parallel to the surface of the earth, but that's not accurate. Um, because range changes as we go through the three dimensions of space. So this so-called long-range weapon, as long as it's traveling through the sagittal plane, yes, that, that would be long-range. A kick would be long-range. However, a, ki a kick can travel through the height dimension, and in which case a kick can be short-range weapon. Then you add timing to it, and you add the, the dynamic movement through all three dimensions, and almost anything can be any of the uh, egoic mind categorization of range. Almost anything can both be short range, medium range, and long range. So in his video, he's, he's now, uh, he's, he's got some of those skills, do you see? And you need those skills. Uh, usually what happens when an Aikido person 
who has made, who has fallen victim to the second obstacle, right? So they're an Aikido person and they have come to uh, prioritize and emphasize the external things of the way. So they're going to do their dress. They're going to do their good, their hakama. They're going to have their man bun, uh, things like that, which is already, you're not martial now. There's just no, there's no way you're martial with that man bun. It's absolutely impossible. And then the whole identity of hair, do you see, which is why you don't see hair in monastic codes, because the whole egoic identity is in hair. So both spiritually and martially, your man bun, Aikido ponytail is already, you already gone astray. But there's enough going into the man bun and the Aikido ponytail, right, going all the way back to Steven Seagal and the power that Hollywood has over us now to define for most of us what is real and what is not real. It has enough capital in it that you will see Aikido people do it all the time, and that makes them more Aikido people. That makes them more Aikido. That makes them more good in those air quotes. So you'll see these Aikido people with their man bun and their ponytails, and they're, in their mind, to do Aikido martial is to do the Kihon Waza in sparring situations. Do you, do you understand that? So the art for them is not a transcendence of the Kihon, which it would be for Osensei, which he clearly said. The art for them is doing the Kihon. And so when they try to do the art at higher levels, which would include sparring to them, all they want to do is Kihon Waza in sparring situations. So when that person goes in, they're just immediately overwhelmed by the dynamism of the Mai. Because Kihon Waza, as a ritualized training environment already solves for my for the practitioner so they'll get ran over uh, they'll get jammed they'll be out of range it's it's just immediately predictable and anyone out there can run this experiment just get two friends one friend that that trains in aikido and aikido only and they're just doing what aikido has become for everyone so they're just doing their kihon and then go get another friend who does any kind of uh, regular live training environment, some boxer, some wrestler, um, some uh, BJJ person that's, that's competing, any, anyone at all, uh, even a street fighter, it'll all work. And you're going to see that nothing will work for that Aikidoka because they cannot solve for my, because, not because Aikido sucks, but because Kihon Waza solved my for them. They do not have the skill to become one with the dynamic nature of my. So Rokus has got himself in there, and he has learned how to solve for the dynamic nature of my, which means he, he in this video, he's not being ran over by the attacker, uh, etc. But he is still stuck on the art is Kihon Waza. He's still stuck on the position that the art is its, its superficial external things. 
because that's what our age recognizes. So here he is, he's, he's, he's trying to do Aikido against a person that is in one of those other practices I've mentioned, and that nothing works. Nothing works. Why? It goes back to the same problem. He, has, he does not understand, first, that that is not Aikido. Kihonwaza is not Aikido. And second, that the tactical architectures that make up Kihonwaza, like all tactical architectures, like all weapons, are limited to their own mai, their own space-time and desired end. You cannot apply them anywhere, everywhere. They, there's a specificity to them. In my experience, and again, you can run your own experiment in this, and again, I do not hear in our dojo, and consistent with my view that Kihon Waza is not Aikido, no more than a, uh, uh, a white dogi and a black hakama is Aikido. Okay? Kihon Waza is not Aikido which is why we don't just train in tactical architectures that are consistent with some historically, arbitrarily decided upon curriculum. So here we, you'll see in our videos, oh, what's that throw? And, you know, oh, and what's that strike? And what's that? You have to do it all. So martially, you have to do it all because Aikido Kihonwaza uh, is, is a a set of tactical architectures that are very specific, like all tactical architectures, so they, they're not going to be able to address all situations. Now, the person who understands the art deeply knows that's not a problem because I'm supposed to transcend the art altogether. The person who's stuck in this third obstacle cannot do it because this age has made a holy grail of its external things. Because we don't and cannot believe in anything as subtle and in a way immaterial as transcendence. We're Kihonwaza. Those techniques that most Aikidoka would agree, that is Aikido Kihonwaza, where it functions. Let's just take Nagewaza for simplicity's sake here. It does not function off a jab. It does not function... Uh, in or against most tactical architectures that are associated with sport or with ego dueling. In particular, Aikido's known tactical architecture, so Aikido's Kihonwaza, require that the attacker is doing some sort of spinal displacement on your person. That is where they function. In the ego duel or in a, let's say, a self-defense situation where your attacker for some weird reason would adopt ego duel tactics, so it would look more like sport MMA or sport karate or something like that, you're almost never going to get a person to do spinal displacement, especially if all you know is Aikido. But if you know more than Aikido, you will always get them to do spinal displacement. If you know more than Aikido Kihonwaza. So some ways that you get even the ego dualist or the strange and improbable, but I guess possible attacker 
who's employing ego dual tactics. So the, this is jab, cross, right? Slow, uh, slow uh, shuffle steps into position, into striking range or into grabbing range, that kind of person. The way you do it is you have your own striking skills and you beat the crap out of that person as they're employing those things. That person will always start charging on you as they try to smother your strikes. This is actually how I myself came to Aikido. So, again, in my history, I was in Kenpo. I was a student of uh, Ed Parker, the founder of American Kenpo. And American Kenpo used to do, I don't know if they still do it, because I'm not, I'm not affiliated with them in any way anymore. But we used to do this thing that we called street sparring. So my school here... Um, which belonged to a full-contact karate fighter, he had open sparring. It was like Tuesday, Thursday nights. Anybody in any art or no art, you come to the dojo and we're all going to spar. And we called it street sparring because there were no rules. Just you don't want to kill anyone. And I can't say that we didn't break bones, we did break bones almost every night, but no one was intentionally trying to angrily or in a hostile way trying to break you. But it happened. It happened all the time. So you went to the ground, it, everyone wanted to know how to wrestle, everyone wanted to know the jiu-jitsu uh, grappling, long before the Gracie craze came to the United States. But you also knew all the street fighting tricks and all the dirty boxing tricks because those things work. And you learned all the catch wrestling. How, how did you learn it? Because you wanted to survive Tuesdays and Thursday nights and someone was using stuff against you and it was very much a sharing attitude and they, they would show you the move. So you develop this kind of a, amalgam art, like I guess today you would call it mixed martial arts, but it's not because it would not have the rules of mixed martial arts. So... You would see things like, for example, a uh, guy has you tied up in a, in a dirty boxing uh, position on the wall. They'll spit in his face, and he's going to lose the hold on you, and you can dance out of the, the wall trap, do you see? Or, for example, uh, groin kicks were not as effective because uh, people would wear very industrial strength cups. And so you would not get the reaction out of it. And so the guy would not protect his groin the way he normally would in real life. But you soon discover that a hook kick uh, would take the cup and, and travel it over the testicles. And you'd get the reaction you want. And then the guy's hands would drop. And then you could do whatever you wanted to his neck and head. Things like this. Next to the mat, there was a tiny bathroom that was there. And you could always, if you could figure out how, you could get that guy to uh, fall into the bathroom if you felt that you were better at tighter spaces. Things like that. So you don't, you don't have that stuff in MMA. Biting, you could do biting and all that kind of stuff too. Just had to be not hostile or angry in your bites. But the moves that we were developing, I could see our kind of, you know, kickboxing. Um, even you can see that in MMA, even, even if it is a kind of uh, Thai kickboxing. There's a kind of kickboxing core to it. 
we had that same core. And this was in contrast to Kempo's techniques. And Kempo te Kempo's techniques were actually designed in the street, for the street, by Mr. Parker. These were moves they did, they used to fight extremely violently, including with the presence of weapons. Some of, some of those early Kempo fighters ended up in prison and dying in prison. So the contrast stood out to me. What did we do in a live, in a total free live environment? And what did Mr. Parker say could be done in that same live training environment? You could either have the Rokas experience and go, I, I, I tried to do that technique and it doesn't fucking work. So I'm going to do this other stuff. But there were shortcomings in the other stuff, in this street sparring. One, size hugely helped. And two, we didn't have any weapons in that arena. You, if you stuck in wood or plastic knives, everything would go out the effing window. You brought in the stick, a club. No one fought with the street sparring techniques we were developing. So one day, and whatever drives a certain soul to such a position, I just made up my mind, I'm not using any more street sparring tactics. I'm going to use Kempo's tactical architectures. And I think it was for about six months, I got the shit beat out of me. Nose broken multiple times. Basically, if I started to do the street sparring tactics, that kickboxing core there, I would just stop and the, the opponent would take advantage of it. And I would try to get back into Kempo's tactical architectures. Now, there was textual pointers for what I was trying to do. I didn't come out from just left field on this matter. And what the historical record is telling me and still tells all of us is the same thing that Osensei said. He's not the inventor of this position. Basically, form is the problem. And the transcendence of form is the goal. Today, in this third obstacle, everybody's looking for form. This art is more practical than that art. They have this plug-and-play mentality. I just have to learn the forms that actually work. So somebody that's trying to make and see if Aikido works, all they try to do is stick the Kihonwaza in a live environment. Even in the, in the Facebook group, Aikido, the martial side, you can see this is the underlying assumption of what martial Aikido is. It's Kihon Waza in a live situation. And uh, their solution to being able to achieve that is not the transcendence of form. It's not get to what really is Aikido. They just try to uh, perpetually better engineer Aikido's Kihon Waza. And then 
almost like they're searching for black holes in space. They're looking for the moments when it does show up. That's not how you do it. The historical record, the ancient masters tell you, form is the problem. You must transcend form. You must reach non-form. Several episodes of the podcast and several writings we've talked about shuhari. This is the uh, ha phase. You must have non-form. You must transcend form. You must break with form. But even in shuhari, with this third obstacle, people understand it externally because they cannot believe in the transcendent element or the transcendent aspect. So when you watch people talk about shuhari today, they're like, okay, you're going to practice kihon waza, and then we're going to change kihon waza. So here is ikkyo standard, and now here's modified ikkyo standard. From the actual point of view of shuhari as it was understood historically and accurately and truthfully, modified ikkyo is still shu. This transcendence happens in the mind. Once the mind has reached this transcendence, there's no more shu ikkyo. You could do what someone would look at and go, that's ikkyo, that's the strict kihon waza of ikkyo. But from your transcendent mind, it's not shu ikkyo. So my problem in this trying to do Kenpo's tactical architectures I never understood it as trying to modify them so that they would work or reject them because they didn't work. The problem was one of mind. If you cut fast forward, you'll see what I figured out is that fear, fear is the functioning of the egoic mind. Fear is the subjective experience of the ego tripartite mind. Fear must be reconciled. This is not just the fear of like, I'm scared of ghosts. Fear itself is a separating energy. Fear itself is one of the aspects of creation itself. And it is the functioning of the egoic mind. With it comes the ego. With the ego comes dichotomy. With dichotomy becomes this behavioral pattern of preference and avoidance. And with it comes our unchecked will to power. But over time, over about six months of getting the crap beat out of me, you're in a severe kind of training. The kind where fear must be reconciled, where the self must be transcended. And I started tapping into Parker's techniques. Now, a very interesting thing happened socially at that dojo. So here you had a very thriving open sparring practice that was going on years, decades before I got there. But now you have one person that's doing Parker's technique spontaneously in that situation. And one by one, no one's, it killed that sparring practice. 
because Parker's techniques were not sparring. Parker's techniques are not about an exchange of blows. There's no participation in, in uh, you hit me as I hit you. There's none of that. In the kickboxing core, because they employ uh, ego dual tactics, there is an exchange. So in essence, you just no one wants to spar with you. You keep killing one by one the sparring session till it's non-existent. Except for one tactic. But not everyone used that tactic. So for most that wanted to, to stick with this kickboxing core, you got shut down and you didn't know what to do why go that guy's gonna be there but the one tactic where that did not work was the one you saw when the Gracies came to face their karate and their kickboxers just run at the guy spinal displace run at the guy Jam and smother his strikes as he's trying to stay in range for his strikes. In a way, the success that the Gracies had at that time was a kickboxing specialization. So the kickboxer, again, use that structurally, not, not literally. The person that is staying in range for their strikes to be viable is open to the onrush. And the Gracie's success comes from that. Because now that you smothered his strikes, his offense is useless. And now he had no defense because he was so used to those strikes working that he never developed an arsenal past those strikes. So once you turn them horizontal to the ground, it's like you're fighting a baby. It still is. You still have that specialization. There's still a heck of a lot of people, let's just say in Aikido. Let's stick with our art. There are more people who cannot solve for the dynamic Mai. So maybe you, you, you use your ego dual tactics to never generate spinal displacement. But now you're in range, and now turn them horizontal, and it'll be as if they've never practiced anything in their lives. Somehow, Aikido, this art that is the universe, is no longer the, in the universe once it's horizontal. That is very strange. That, that should be a, a ipso facto, I don't know what I'm talking about. People who say that the art does not work here or there clearly do not understand the art because the art is the universe. This is what the founder told us. If you get turned horizontal and you lose all ability, you do not understand the art. If you look at that venue today, if you look at UFC, people now understand how to deal with that spinal displacement. Striking arts are being supplemented by grappling arts that understand spinal displacement, and now it is not so easy to take someone down. And what happens? 
well, we're going to see much more stand-up. And we do. Because as it's more difficult to take someone down, it's also more difficult to keep someone down. It's very easy to keep someone down who doesn't know how to defend being taken down. Not so easy when they do. So there's more stand-up now. So the wrestlers, then the, particularly the wrestlers, they know how to close. They're just going to close. They're going to close fast. So they closed on me. They smothered, especially if they were bigger than me. And Parker's main arsenal was striking. There were a few techniques that had a yin yield akin to the one you see in Aikido's Kihon Waza. And those techniques function. Everything else was very low percentage. What did I run into? I ran into the specificity of the tactical architectures. I ran into the limits of their field of operation. What made that person use that tactic? What, what made that wrestler or that just football player that was going to tackle you remain in that environment and did not feel like there's no environment for me is that they had a tactic that the other strikers did not use. They did not stay in striking range so they, to use their tactics, which is where the bulk of American Kempo's tactics function, not in spinal displacement. So fast forward, you want to make a guy spinally displaced, you, gotta, you can do the same thing. Beat the shit out of him pugilistically. He's going to spinally displace. He's going to attempt to do it. That's one way. But if all you know is Aikido Kihonwaza, you don't know how to do it. So you're never, when you try to take, when you try to do Aikido Kihonwaza in a live sparring environment, and all you do is Kihonwaza, you do not know how to beat the shit out of someone pugilistically. They will never be motivated to spinally displace. Now you cannot do Aikido's Kihonwaza. They're going to walk in very slowly, very methodically, and you're going to try your stuff, and it's just not going to work. They're either going to walk into pugilistic range and beat the crap out of you with strikes, or they're going to walk into their grappling range and they're going to methodically take you down. And then you don't know what to do because for you, the universe stops once it turns horizontal. Apparently, horizontal does exist in infinity. And you're like a baby who knows nothing. And instead of going, I, I am the one, I am the one, who knows nothing because of this third obstacle, because we don't understand transcendence, because we don't believe in it. It's the art that sucks. It's not me. The second way you get somebody who would be using those ego dual tactics or those sport tactics is to have a weapon. Again, if we're talking self-defense, you should be armed. You should have a handgun, and you should have at least one blade, preferably two blades, 
that support your handgun. This means that the attacker is either going to come in slow and methodically, giving you time to bring your weapon into the fight, or they're going to have to rush you and try to prevent you from bringing your weapon into the fight. When they rush you, you're going to have spinal displacement. Your nagewaza is going to appear viable again. So here in this latest video, you have, you have Rokas. He's, he's, he's in his sparring. He's got some sense of dynamic Mai. So he's not being ran over. He's not being turned horizontal. But what is he still trying to do? He's still trying to do Aikido, Kihonwaza, as if they're universal techniques, as, as if they're not uh, set within a specific energy print. And he's trying to employ them where there's no spinal displacement. They don't work. They're not going to work. The only way they'll work is if you're way stronger than that person. To me, that doesn't work. So it looks like he's kind of come full circle, but he hasn't. And all over the world, you have this position. There's no transcendence. There's no possibility of transcendence. We can't even imagine it. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it feels like. We don't believe in anything like that. We don't believe in the ways that lead to transcendence. We're skeptical of them. We hate them. They're dangerous. We should avoid them at all costs, and they're bullshit. This is Kali Yuga. And that's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is even more dangerous. The other side of the coin, just like, just like this side, is an extension of the first two obstacles. In our age, the second obstacle, this attention to the external, to the superficial, to what is not actually the way. What was maybe at one time a part of the way. Maybe it's the method. It comes to be for, in, in using the Christian discourse, because it is the best discourse for this, it comes to be a kind of idolatry. And we see it all in the way that our age sees things. We see it mechanically, talismanically, although we don't call it that. And we get lost in what, what I would call it are the meta-discourses. So let me repeat something that I have said earlier, some of the earlier episodes going back to this socio-historical problem. In essence, you'll have somebody who will achieve transcendence. We'll, we'll, again, we'll define it as they are able to bring a cessation to the egoic mind. This person has that experience. Other people want to have that experience. Let's call that first person the experiencer. And let's call these other people that want to have the experience the seekers. This cessation of the egoic mind, this is transcendence. This is the experience of transcendence. This is awakening. This is enlightenment. This is experiencing the God mind or experiencing reality through the God mind. Once you reach transcendence, you can bring transcendence into everything. As I said, 
prior to transcendence, there is a radical distinction between shu ikyo and ha. But after transcendence, there is no difference. Only the egoic mind draws a distinction. The transcendent mind does not. So every manifestation of kihon waza ikyo is jiyu waza. Kihon waza is jiyu waza. This is takamusu aiki. This is why the founder did not go into sparring, did not do any of that stuff that the martialist among us want to see. He's right. So the experiencer will, over time, develop practices wherein he or she can manifest the transcendent. However, the seeker cannot. We're, we're in this state. You had O-sensei. He could transcend. He experienced that. He can use Aikido. He can use Kihonwaza as a manifestation of the transcendent. But none of his deshi could. None of, none of the deshi that are practicing and legitimating current practice, they did external things. They did external Aikido. They did superficial Aikido. They did social and cultural Aikido. They did not do transcendent Aikido. Again, I posted something on our Facebook page. Hey, uh, there's, I don't know, I think there's something like 8,000 secret followers on that page. Again, I, that's telling you something. The secrecy is telling you something of how that second obstacle is functioning fully. I said, hey, show me a video, I don't, if it's of you or someone else, of the internal aspects of the art being demonstrated. I don't care how you define it, go for it. Yeah, no, none. I posted one of the older practitioners, Tata Sensei, and I pointed out some of the things, but even as you're watching Tata Sensei, this, is, this would be considered very low level. But that's sacrilegious today. But it's low level. No one else. Except for one, which was in Tai Chi. Weird. So, following that post and moving on with questions others had and questions my deshi had, I posted a video on... Understanding Ukemi past the usual explanation, which is bringing that authenticity, do you see? Not being captured by these obstacles, getting to the heart of the matter. What is actually Ukemi? What does it mean to receive in the body? And somebody, one of those post-Rokus people that are cruising around Aikido circles is like, What's the point of this, you know? Uh, who's really going to not resist these techniques? They have no understanding, but most Aikido people don't, as we've already been talking about, they don't understand what Kihonwaza is. 
if you don't understand what Kihon Waza is and what it is not, then how can you understand how you're supposed to utilize it? And if you don't understand that, then you don't know what ukemi is, which is why ukemi for most people today is choreography. And just like Shirakawa's Aikido, which is skillful, air quotes, good, air quotes, beautiful, air quotes, while he does not believe in Aiki, while he does not do Aiki, the choreographed uke is non-contestation, is reconciliation. But that is not. That is, that is this obstacle. That is this thing where the, the way has been so usurped that its opposite is now the ideal. But ukemi is the very process of grace. So what happens, let's, let's go into this, this video. So here's what happens. When a, a nage who is practicing the art at a transcendent level, what they are doing is they are bringing a cessation to the egoic mind. They are seeing through the delusion of self. And seeing is a bad word. Let's just leave it at that. It's cessation of the egoic mind. It stops functioning. They learn transcendence. They are an experiencer. And what the practice is doing is what all practices do. So that experiencer starts to develop practices. And each practice has the potential for being both transcended or attached to. So a person can do ikkyo from a shoe state and just stay in a shoe state. And a person can transcend ikkyo and it's jiwaza, even though they're calling it kihonwaza. It doesn't matter. This person reaches a transcendent state and there's a few things that physiologically happen. It doesn't just happen at a psychological level. At a physiological level, they're going to neutralize the energy that uke is bringing to this pairing. Uke is going to feel that, and uke is then going to feel nage moving them, or uke is going to feel themselves being moved, but not able to understand how they're being moved, because their egoic mind wants to understand it. That freaks the egoic mind out. Fear comes in, and the egoic mind continues to function. Uke is now not practicing ukemi. Fear has them. There is no grace. What uke is to do is to do the same cessation of the egoic mind in the face of that. In that kind of test. Can you transcend or will fear take you? And when uke does that, uke is being moved, but is one with the movement. There's, it's not choreography. So somebody says, oh, they're not resisting, and I made another video to show. There's not a question of resisting or not resisting. They can't resist. They can't get out. The question is, how will they experience the throw or the pin? 
Do they experience it through the egoic mind dichotomously? If they do, it's going to hurt. It's going to generate fear. It's going to generate tension. If they can bring a cessation to the egoic mind, they will experience the technique which they're going to be moved because Nage is the yang in the pairing. They're going to be moved. They will experience, if Uke can adopt the yin stopping of the egoic mind, they will not be afraid. They will not be injured. They will not experience pain. So here... That is what's happening, but what do you usually see? No, 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 Uke is going to choreograph. So you see, so Osensei, the experiencer, he had an, a sense of transcendence. He came up with ways, he introduced ways, practices for people to experience and gain that transcendence. And uh, that's like a test. Will you cease the egoic functioning or will you not? Most people will fail for the obstacles I've listed here. And they get taken away by the obstacles, and the obstacles get presented as the solutions. This is how you have people thinking, all they got to do is kihonwaza. All they got to do is be a good aikidoka. All they got to do is get rank, and they're going to reach what O-sensei reached. That's not true. Okay, so when, what they really need to do is understand yin and yang. No, that's not true either. They just have to be more devoted. They have to love God more. No, none of that's true. They need more zazen. No, yoga. No, and you have these experts now in what I what I have called these meta discourses. So it's writing upon writing upon writing. Nobody's having the experience anymore. They're experts in meta discourses. Can they do it? Can they demonstrate transcendence and the signs of the physiological signs of transcendence? No. They can't. They are still egoic. They are still afraid. They are still prideful. They are still contesting. But they have rank and they have title and they have years of training. And all that tells them you're doing it, but you're not. This is where doctrine comes in and doctrinist. But from this point of view, you want to understand it as an attachment to the method. You want to understand it from those first two obstacles point of view and from the point of view of our age, meaning there is an, an organism level propensity for the method itself to become the obstacle, to be usurped to become part of the egoic mind functioning. And that there's a socio-political extension of that obstacle, which compounds and develops our propensity to become stuck on the method, the means by which the experiencer gave to us on how to share in their experience. And you also want to understand this problem from our age, where overwhelmingly there is an effort to deny even the possibility of transcendence, to see everything materially and mechanically. And that itself is compounded by 
our attachment to discourse and intellect and talking and discussion to doctrine. All of these things are nothing but the functioning of the egoic mind. All of these things obstruct its cessation and our access to the God mind, to transcendence. And it will all seem good and right, and you will be rewarded for it. You will seem skillful, holy, good. So in watching that video and going back to how I see our Facebook page akin to the dojo, is I, I didn't invite you in. If you want to see and listen to these things, feel free. But if you cannot because you're obstructed by these other things, then I cannot teach you and there's nothing here for you. Please leave. So there's, I think we're in the hundreds of people that are banned, especially in this post roku age. One, so you won't see the comment there anymore, but, but you can, see, I'll tell you what it said in essence, and you'll see how all these things are working. So in the video where I'm answering somebody who's saying isn't, they're not resisting, I go ahead and show not only that that's not what's being worked on, that instead this transcendent grace cultivation is being worked on, but the imagined resistance is not possible. And I point out that it's not possible because of the internal aspects, pointing out that most people that do Aikido or not even Aikido, but any other martial art, they just have no experience of the internal aspects. They have no idea what it is or what it feels like. So they don't know what's possible and not possible. And like in Obstacle 2, what has become Aiki or what has become the internal is something else. It is something else related to the third obstacle because they no longer have access to transcendence. So you have like, Aiki is, is just sound body mechanics or sound skeletal alignment or your hands are on your navel or good posture, you know. None of this is Aiki. Again, you, you have, uh, it's, it's, it's Christians who don't believe in Christ. It's, it's Tai Chi practitioners who don't believe in Chi. And it's Aikido, Aikidoka who don't believe in Aiki. So they make it something else. And they cannot do it. So they make it what they can do. This is the first obstacle. They usurp it. They make it something that allows them to be and remain the same. So I'm at one point to show there is no resistance in this video. I'm on my toes with my knees off the ground. We're doing Suwadi Waza. And I'm telling the Uke to pull away. 
Before that, I demonstrate that the prescribed strike would in itself create an inertial check, making it very impossible for them to pull away. But then I say, let's see if they could pull away anyways. But let me be on my toes with my knees off the ground. So I'm not in Cesar. I'm, not, I'm, I'm in uh, the kind of people that, that don't know Kiza, like a, how a sumo wrestler goes down at the beginning of their uh, purification ritual. And pull. And I'm not going anywhere. This is the internal aspect. So somebody writes in and, go, and says, Saito-sensei, do you see there's the, that second obstacle? There's, a, there's your little argument from authority. Saito-sensei says Ikkyo is about superior leverage. No, no fucking doubt he does. Iwama Ryu is all about leverage. It is all external. It doesn't have anything to do with internal aspects, this guy says. So again, here, here's somebody upholding someone else who is a clear departure from the founder. And the whole point of superior leverage is mechanical advantage. Well, here is an ultimate form of mechanical advantage, not functioning through leverage. Wouldn't you want to know that? No, no, because I have, I've been taken by all the other obstacles. And I can't do that, and I don't know that, and my, my symbolic markers don't know it and can't do it, so it's got to be wrong. And like this, you're following the way, in air quotes, without following the way. So keeping these three obstacles in place while understanding the goal, there's only one goal, transcendence, transcendence of self, the cessation of the egoic mind. We received a question, here's where we're coming all the way back around, on whether or not ego reconciliation is possible and should be quested after. Of course that question makes sense today. You can hear the doubt, you can hear the disbelief, you can hear the unknowability. The obvious first answer is yes, that's all there is. That's what this is. This is nothing else. Ukemi is not something else. Ikkyo is not something else. And Aiki and Kokyu are not something else. Jiyuwaza is not something else. Takamusa Aiki is not something else. Senshin is not something else. That is all there is. It can be done. It is possible. But these other obstacles are going to get in the way. They're going to inhibit the way for you. To get to this questioner's main perspective and also the perspective of several of my deshi and I would say major portions of the larger Aikido world that are taking this question at all 
seriously. So we'll take off the table the people thoroughly captured by the first obstacle, the second obstacle, and that in the third obstacle are just full-on secular materialists. Everything is mechanical and there's no tr possibility of transcendence. Take them off the table. We now have quite a few people in Aikido that are seeking this transcendence. They will be open to the doctrine mentality as much as they are to the other obstacles. I'm talking about the doctrine mentality, the, the attachment to the means or the method that the experiencer gave to us. If the nature of the egoic mind is to reify itself, is to continue its functioning, what brings about its cessation is experienced as a threat to it. This is why it, its blood, its lifeline is fear. And you can look at this different way. You can, you can, and other traditions have, again, this is just my poetics, this is my metaphor. You could easily say fear is functioning in you, and transcendence is the reconciliation of fear, and love is the grace that is bestowed upon us when fears reconcile. This makes sense to me. You you could you could change you could change it all you want. I finally reach a state of unconditional love for Jesus and grace, the Holy Spirit comes into me and I feel God works. It works for me. I realize the delusion of small self and I experience the greater self, which is a communion and a unity with Brahman. Same thing. Works for me. I realize the self is not my perception. It's not my eyes. It's not my senses. It's not my emotions. I realize that and now I have extinguished the self and I am in nirvana. It works. Same thing. The map is not the territory, but once you understand the territory, you can read the map. But when we, once we do not know the territory, the map itself becomes alluring. And in today's climate, anyone can draw the map. Any, anyone can talk about Aiki and Takamusa Aiki and Shuhari, and only the experiencer can look and go, I, I see where the, the three obstacles got you. Even in what you're talking about, I can see where it's effing you up. But they'll sound like they've got it to the person that has not had the experience. You can talk about center, you can talk about ukemi, you can talk about non-contestation. But the experiencer will see the attachments. They, they'll see the egoic mind functioning even in the discourse. So anyone can talk about love and release and ego reconciliation and non-duality and grace and God and awakening. The discourse is so readily available out there which makes sense for our Kali Yuga age, that we can sound like an expert, an experiencer, 
and then we'll be rewarded for simply sounding like an experiencer. And then we won't seek the experience. In my mind, the Christian map is the most potent map. I think for that reason, it's the most corrupted map as well. And in its corrupted states, it has taken viable self-technologies off the table for most. I would say the technologies of suffering and the technologies of humiliation are off the table for most Christians. But it's right there in the map. You have a king with the mockery of a crown of thorns and a public torturing at the heart of the map. These things are there, and I'm, I'm using them here because of their potency. They bring more clarity, I think, to what truly is this cessation of the egoic mind. There is a parallel between all of the obstacles I mentioned. And here, if we stick to this map, and we note that anything outside of the functioning of the egoic mind is experienced as a threat, we can see by extension humiliation and suffering are some of the most potent graspings and death throes of the egoic mind. It is no coincidence that modern contemporary Aikido has become so gentle, so non-threatening, so not dangerous in contrast to when it was centered in hell dojo as it has become reliant upon an uke who throws himself as it has come to understand itself talismanically as non-violent because its techniques do not cause injury, which is not true, which has classes more academically based than practiced based because there's less risk in thinking and talking than in moving, and that all of these things are deemed good and right and accurate. And we have all our shihan that we can hold up as holders of this thing now. This Christian map also includes a counterforce to this transcendence. It's been there from the beginning. In the creation of Eden, where the material and the immaterial resided, which is in essence a state of Ri, of Shuhari, emblematic of the two trees. The tree of knowledge, the dichotomous mind, the egoic mind, and the tree of life, the God mind. 
there in that integrated, reconciled space, God, the immaterial, unknowable, walked side by side with the material, knowable. But even in that garden, there was a counterforce, an undoing force. There was a snake. This counterforce was there from the beginning. It's as if it could not not be there, or as if it was there by divine intention. And this counterforce lures, seduces, entices, gravi- gravity, gravitationally pulls the material aspect of the immaterial universe, here represented by Eve. Not, not gender woman Eve, the material aspect of a cosmos that is both immaterial and material. And she eats of the dichotomous mind. She aligns with the tree of knowledge. And this dismantles the garden, the integrated state. Now, Adam and Eve are material, purely. They're going to die. They're no longer immortal. And they live in the world. And worldly stuff happened to them. In, in our, here, in our discourse, the ego tripartite mind has you. You're going to do the first two obstacles, and in our age, you'll do the third obstacle. Transcendence, and then thereby an integration of the material and the immaterial, or in our discourse, an integration of the egoic mind with the God mind is no longer possible. Now you suffer. Now you die. Now you feel pain. Now you're humiliated. Go to the end of the map and you have a son of God who people try to humiliate and try to torture and he forgives them. And then he tells God, the transcendent, it has been accomplished. Eden is remanifested. Heaven is back on earth. But that counterforce was there from the beginning and had to be overcome all the way through and up to the end. So in the same way that Mara in the Buddhist map entices the Buddha away from this integration, this cessation of the egoic mind, the devil also entices Jesus with the egoic mind. But unlike the material aspect in Eden that fell for the enticement, we don't have to. No one ever has to. You likely will, but you don't have to. Jesus didn't. This idea that there's this counterforce is very potent 
in my opinion, for a practitioner of the way. Because as I presented it here with these obstacles, it sounds like a psychological thing, do you see? And to be truthful, I do present it in a way so that moderns can kind of get in the ballpark, meaning it's very watered down. Just like the trial period in the dojo. This is something my deshi can attest to. Like the beginning, this Aikido seems very gentle, and I seem like a very nice person. You're doing basically what they can handle to help them get to deeper levels. But the ego goes, this must be the end because this is all I can handle. If, if the person can come in and go, I, I, I don't, I'm only receiving what I can handle as they're receiving it. I'm only receiving what I can understand and accept as I'm learning to reconcile the ego. Then everything I do makes sense and I'm a, not, not a mean person ever. But because the ego mind doesn't do that, it's like, well, that, that was pretty scary for me. And so that must be what re really being thrown like is like. And then when I do throw them at the next notch up, they're like, what the fuck? This guy's trying to kill me. The egoic mind is interpreting experience, do you see, in a way that reifies and continues its functioning. It makes it sound all psychological. This is just more like trial member bullshit. The modern is used to psychology. So I, may, I put it in psychological terms. But I already told you, the egoic mind is going to usurp the way. And psychology is a product of the egoic mind. So there's no way that's it. It's just getting you in the door. Because you're not going to psychologize your way into the cessation of the egoic mind. It's not going to happen. And this is the double warning for becoming a, a discourse specialist or a doctrinist. You can never lose sight of the fact that you are after a particular experience. Not an understanding. Not a realization. Not a clarity. Not a better explanation. But this, this other map of there is a counter force. I don't know why it's there. I'm not told why it's there. It's just there. It's there from the beginning. And it is working against me when it comes to finding the way. This is very potent because there's no understanding you can use because if you really accept the map, you know 
that that creature used understanding to undo Eden. When you do that, when you realize this force is so deceptive, or if you want to stay in trial member discourse, this egoic mind is so deceptive, so self-deceptive, so operating out of my full awareness. How's that? That like a trickster deity, it's going to deceive me with positive, beneficial things. All the skillful air quotes, good air quotes, beauty air quotes. And it's going to reinforce them with all the social things. Shihan, seventh dawn, 40 years of Aikido practice. And it'll do so until I have the rude awakening. Holy shit, none of this actually works. Aikido sucks. You have the rocus moment, which he still hasn't made his way out of. But you're probably going to want to avoid the rocus moment, so you're probably going to just stay inside your little bubble as much as you can. But if you understand that, and you leave it as this kind of force or energy, or even you buy the whole line and sinker and you go, there's a demonic presence. There's a demonic presence that is powerless before God and therefore attacks and injures God's imagers, human beings. you're going to start realizing why and you're going to start looking for what I would collectively call practices. You're going to move away from the discourses which you should do, especially in this age. You're going to move away from your understandings. This is one reason why I find Aikido very timely because it has a practice-based component to it. For example, here at the dojo, we have had many Zen practitioners with lots of meditation years and hours. We've had many yoga practitioners, yoga instructors, but move them without their knowing how or why, and they experience fear. Attack them, and they contest. We've had many, many high-ranking Aikido people come here, and they have said for decades to their students, relax, or even use Aiki, or use Kokyu. And they cannot. They they don't have any kokyu projection skills, there's no aiki adhesion, and they're tense as all hell. This practice component to it is, is necessary for the human being to escape that homeostatic force, that demon. And it negates the fact that today anyone can talk 
like O Sensei. Because you can either commune, Aiki, adhere, or you can't. There's no two ways around it. You can either transcend Kihon Waza, you can either manifest a restate, Takamusa Aiki, or you can't. There's no two ways around it. And the latter is so important that it negates the discourse as it should, which makes it more problematic when we become so capable of repeating the discourse, so wanting to be able to, so needing to be able to. And in these practices, you're going to put things back into your art that every tradition has. Things like suffering and humiliation. So even in my brief history that I gave you, one moment in it, for six months, multiple bones broken, got the shit kicked out of me, lost every bout, suffering and humiliation. Ego reconciliation is possible. It is necessary. But it, is not, it will not ever, ever be achieved in a way that makes sense to you or in a way that you would like. What makes sense to you and what you would like is a snake in the tree of knowledge. You're about to be kicked out of the garden. All this, of course, is compounded by the fact, especially here in the West, especially in the United States, by that third obstacle and the impact it has had on maps like the Christian map. And many, many Aikidoka in the West come to Aikido through their abhorrence of the Christian map. Let's say the Judeo-Christian map. Abhorrence to any map is as equally wrong as any attachment to that map. Just like trying to do Ikkyo and not trying to do Ikkyo is the same egoic mind. Aside from suffering and humiliation, also key to the Christian map, but equally present in the other maps, is the practice of devotion. There is a very, very, let's just say, a, a very practical list of things you need to do in order to sit at the feet of the experiencer. So even to receive the map. This has been said in even in this podcast here, this episode, but many times, written many times in our other outlets. 
So you see somebody who can do the internal aspects. Let's keep it simple. You can see someone. And instead of saying, oh, Saito-sensei doesn't do that, and, this, and so I don't need it, you would be able to go, well, that's a superior mechanical advantage, so I would like to learn that in addition to leverage. So find a person that can do the internal aspects first. But there's one more. There's two more. Make sure they can transfer them, transfer that to other people, because you see the difficulty of the first obstacle. So the experiencer has an experiencer. They give you a map. You're probably going to prioritize the map and not the experience. So, But you do have some practitioners, some experiences that know you're going to do that, and they can keep reconciling that attachment, and they can get you to the map, to the destination over past the map. That's what we call a teacher. So back to our simple example, they have the internal aspects. You see they have it. Okay, now look and see if their students have it or not. It's, it's not been my experience that that person has all students able to do it. It's a handful. Because most people are taken by the snake. Even people that at one time were sitting there and, and hanging out with God. Even they're going to be taken by the snake. How about, how about us? We don't even believe in it. So you're never going to have a whole school where every single student is doing it. You'll have a handful that are doing it. But if there are a handful, then that's giving you this next thing. So the person has the skill and the person can transmit the skill. Now, then you go to that person, and then you just have to do the third one. That's also hard. The third one is do what they say. This is devotion. Again, if you look at Aikido today, there's no, devo there's no, devotion is a learned skill, really. Devotion is a state of spiritual maturity, uh, but so is the cessation of the ego tripartite. Like th these, the fact that these are what is required is what makes them means to what is being acquired. So you could do this, for example, Aikido is the reconciliation of yin and yang. In order to reconcile yin and yang, which is part of the dichotomous mind, you're going to have to bring a cessation to the dichotomous mind, and you're going to have to integrate the God mind and the egoic mind. You're going to have to go back to Eden. That person and that person alone is doing Aikido. No one else is doing Aikido. Because it is that person and that person alone that is doing Aikido, that is precisely why Aikido Kihon, in this case, can be a vessel, can be a map, can be a means. Same thing goes with Zazen. You can't, only the Buddha sits in Zazen. Everyone else is doing something else. Well, only an awakened person can do true Zazen, which is the same thing I just described in Kihon Waza. 
Same thing with the internal and, and a reconciliation of the internal and the external aspects of the art. Only an awakened person can do it. But precisely because only that person can do it, these become means to that person. But what the master could do, what the teacher can do, is reconcile your snake. Free you from the snake so you keep working your way there. But to not follow the snake, you need to have devotion. So were these people in Eden more devoted to God, they would not have followed the snake. They'd still be in Eden. But if you look at contemporary Aikido today, no, 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 no. Sensei are, first of all, they're not awakened beings, which of course is true. And it's dangerous to actually do what they say. So don't do it. Actually, the good thing is not to do what the sensei says. The good thing is to uh, have equal uh, standing with the teacher and even to surpass the teacher, especially if you are uh, from one of the oppressed uh, demographic groups. Kali Yuga, baby. But devotion is very, very difficult because it is an awakened state. So the, again, going back to the most potent map, in my opinion, and this, this opinion is coming from de decades plus of studying religions, okay? Plus my own practice, decades long. Why is, why is it potent? Because it bypasses the, the intellect, the psychological being that is the modern person. So going back to the, the Christian map, you see devotion being used by the Catholic saints, for example. Devotion, pure devotion, real devotion, authentic devotion, requires a cessation of the egoic mind. So devotion is a skill. But it's again there for you from the beginning as a practitioner, totally separate of discourse. Now, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of this, what I'm talking about here. And I don't, again, this is going to upset this listener, but it all goes to the egoic mind. Again, I don't reach out for these people. They come here, they seek me out. Just like any trial member comes in, our trial period is one, can I train you? That, that's what it is. It, it doesn't have anything to do with do I like you or not. Some people have, um, have adopted our trial period format, and it's like, do, do I like them or do I get a bad feeling of this? I get a bad feeling from everyone. I don't like anyone. They're, they don't do anything for me. I don't want anything from them. That's not what determines who moves into and past the trial period. It's can I train them? 
Can I cultivate them? There's two things that affect that. One is, is our current environment stable enough where I can train them? By which I mean, are our current members not so lost that we can bring in one more lost person? And then the second one is, how lost is this person? By which I mean, how taken are they by these three obstacles I listed? They could be very, very, very lost where it's impossible. Like, I know from a, for a fact they are never going to get past those obstacles. But if our environment here is stable enough, they'll, they'll be in. But if they... If my environment cannot handle them, meaning others will detrimentally have their practice affected negatively, making it impossible for them. Or if they are too taken by these obstacles, I will flat out say, I cannot train you. Thank you very much. I wish you the best. We're not the end of the world. There's many maps. And for people not even looking for a map, I would never train here. This place is going to suck. This place is going to use suffering, humiliation, devotion. This place is going to problematize my intellect, my will to understand, my secular materialism. I would never train here. Go get it in and out, get some popcorn, and binge on Netflix. Pleasure it up, baby. So I never feel guilty if I tell someone I can't train them. I'm saving them a lot of heartache. So we had one person come in, and I had to say, I can't train you. The art is about a yin release. The art is about a self-reconciliation, an egoic reconciliation, a cessation of the egoic mind. And you can't do a simple thing that I asked to do. Hey, don't put your foot here. Put your foot there. There's no point. Because I'm going to ask way harder things than that later on. Remember, the egoic mind experiences all of these things as threatening. That counter energy, that, that serpent in the tree is telling you, none of this is actually good for you. Here's what's good for you. Do this instead. So I don't feel bad for them. I feel like doing them a favor. But I will say it. What, what is... What is the harm in saying the truth? I'm going to say the truth. I can't teach you. You can't yield. Best of luck. Have a good life. Take care. So a year goes by, and this person reaches out again. And says things, and they learn some lessons. They see what was, what was happening, why I said what I said. They see the light. They had some suffering. 
They had some humiliation. They worked through it. They saw the ego's role in those experiences of suffering and humiliation. They want to know more about this transcendence experience. They want help getting there. All very beautifully written, do you see? Because the discourse is out there. Who can't write that? I think a fun ex experiment would be to, to copy and paste a bunch of statements on, on Aikido and you, you know, from different sources, you, you would have a beautiful paper without ever knowing or being able to do any of it. Now, obviously, this person's egoic mind, this person's sense of self felt very exposed, very open, very threatened. They did a great thing right now. That's how the snake goes. You, you, you deserve to know this. You deserve to eat this fruit. He's trying to keep you down. What follows not that long after, maybe half a day, maybe a day, let's say it's a week. A little passive-aggressive text. Uh, don't I get a reply from you? A little sad face. Don't you see how sad I am for not getting a reply for you, from you? There's no devotion here. This is like um, if you're now trainable and you have reconciled or began to reconcile the ego, the egoic mind, you're, you're starting to see the snake for what the snake is and you're starting to work on your releasing skill. How long should you wait? It wasn't a week. But should you not wait a week? Should, should you not be able to wait a month? Do you really need a reply? Are the Catholic saints only saints because they heard God in their voice? Is that love? Is that unconditional love? Hey, God, meet me halfway. There is no. There is no halfway to God. Your desire for halfway is just fear, is just the egoic mind, is just self-attachment. Now, the irony here is in the day, day and a half that I received this text, and I have to translate it, and then I had to wait for a translation. My entire family caught COVID. Four people. At the same time that my sisters, who I have not seen, they're older than me, they're, they're, they're getting up there in age, who had major health problems, and I have not seen since 2019, because of the COVID scare, they finally were coming to visit their nieces and nephew, nephews. All this is happening in my house at the same time that there's other Deshi I train, and they have their own needs in their own practices, all happening simultaneously. And what's the expectation in the sad emoji? Please stop taking care of your children and your spouse who have COVID and uh, 
tell those sisters of yours they should wait. And, you know, your students that, that are also suffering, I come first. There's no humility here. There's no release of self, do you see? But you can sound like it. And what is most frightening to the sounder-likers is to do it in action. Because it exposes. But action is where you must take your practice. You must understand practice as action. It is not talking or thinking or writing. You don't think love, think peace, think ego reconciliation, think Aikido, think Aiki, think Kokyu, think center. You do it. You act it out. You move your body through space doing it. And devotion is it. That third element, what the teacher says do. Not halfway. Not when it makes sense. Not when it agrees with everything you know and understand. Precisely when it does not. Again, look at contemporary Aikido. That is just off the table. How am I going to get my own social and cultural capital if I don't stand up for myself? Because the other choice is I leave and then I don't get any. Well, here, leave. Leave. You, you'll be asked to leave. And you'll be asked to leave Every such real place. If you want to train, train. If you want to train and train, then that means do what you're told to do. When? Oh, there's no halfway. So you might be told something like, giving a purpose to your zazen will lose your zazen. Wanting to know God will take knowing God from you. And you'll go, I'm confused. Good. No, confusion's bad. I want to understand. No, you don't want to understand. Then you should go, I don't want to understand. And you should now be, act, not wanting to understand. Just doing, just being. This makes no sense. Okay. Do you want to do it or do you want it to make sense? Those are opposites to each other. I would say, if I look at my current students, everybody, I would go back to my, my transmission skills. So I am a teacher that can have their students do, for example, the internal skills. So I would go and I would say, that all my students can uh, demonstrate some aspects of the, of the internal uh, elements of the art. And I would say that as you would go up in time spent, that is more common in your training time, that is more common than, than in the lower, less training time. But I would say I have a handful that are pretty much right, right, doing everything where I would want them to be. 
I, I think I could disappear and they would be able to continue on their own and find and do everything I can. What do those handful of people all have in common? Devotion. What I say to them does not pass through an egoic filter. It is accepted exactly how it is. Instructions. Do this. It never goes through why or should I. It's just done. In that sense, it's, it's very bhakti. It's bhakti yoga. It works. Every way has to have devotion as a self-technology. There's no way without it. But it's got to be real devotion, which means in action. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a chanting, it's not a thinking kind thoughts, it's not, it's not a ritual offering, it's an action, an action in self-displacement through austerity for another. Again, very difficult, but Zazen is difficult, true Zazen is difficult. I know there's lots of people saying they do Zazen. They're not doing Zazen. Only a Buddha does Zazen. Just like there's a lot of people saying they're doing Aikido. They're not doing Aikido. Just like Osensei, only the one that is possessed by the Kami is doing Aikido. Only that kind of person is doing Aikido. So ego reconciliation is possible. It is all that we're doing. It's just not going to happen through the way our age tells you it's going to happen. I think we've gone too far astray where our Taoism is, is messed up, our Buddhism is messed up, our Christianity is messed up, our Shintoism is messed up, our yin-yang theory is messed up, and so on and so on and so on. But you cannot make the mistake of rejecting those maps. No more than you can reject Aikido Kihonwaza. If you do, you're still talking to the serpent. And you're still eating the fruit it wants you to eat. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.